0: morning. I I'm so looking forward to sharing the gospel with you and I want to ask for God's help because again as we are walking through this series on on God's divine presence and we're talking about the Holy Spirit there are so many potholes, uh, so many pitfalls that that we could fall into and I just want to be so very careful. So let's let's ask for the spirit's help. Let's pray together. Lord, help help me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Give us ears that can hear. Give us eyes that can see. Enable us, Lord, to apprehend this Word. Holy Spirit, you're the author of the Word. Illuminate your Word. And and what we know not teach us, and what we are not make us, and what we have not give us, we ask in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout this series, I have fought to maintain a solid biblical theology. A lot of a lot of pastors don't preach on the Holy Spirit because it's dangerous. As I have uh, walked through this series, I have done more prayer and more study than, than I, uh, I typically do. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it would be very easy to say something that would be heretical. It would be easy to insinuate something that might take you down a path that is not entirely biblical. When we're talking about the Spirit of God, we have to understand the Spirit of God in the context of the Trinity. And doing a series on the Holy Spirit, my fear has been that we would do damage to our understanding of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as taught in the Bible. You see, if you mess that up, you're gonna mess up the gospel because the gospel comes from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each one has a role in our salvation. And if you mess up the gospel, well, you're gonna mess up the object of your faith. And if your faith is not steady and set on the gospel, it's gonna be set on something else that will will be less than what God intends and far less than what can save. So being mindful of this, I wanted to come back and say again as as we start today's message— Friends, it is so crucial that we maintain a solid, biblical, Trinitarian view of God. He is one God in three persons. They are distinct, but not separate. You and I, and again, there's those who are dichotomous, trichotomous, I'm gonna get into that, but I just wanna say this. You know you have a soul and a body. They're distinct. If you separate them, you're dead. That's not good, right? Of course, the Baptist brother was be present with the Lord. I'm just saying from a natural, you know, perspective. You separate your soul from your body, you're dead. You separate the Father from the Son and the Holy Spirit, you kill biblical orthodoxy. They are distinct. That means, friends, that we... The Bible does not teach tritheism. There's not three gods. There's one God in three persons. They are distinct but not separate. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. The Father is in me. I am teaching what the Father says. The Father and Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit speaks to the presence of the Father and the Son. As we have been walking through this, and my goal has been to, to, first of all, to acknowledge an absence that has been uh, particularly there in our history as a church, certainly as, as me as your pastor for 18 years, we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. We need to understand what the Bible says about Him, and we need to grow in our relationship with Him. And that has been happening for me personally. I hope it has been happening for you. As you do this, and as I have done this, let me tell you what's happened to me. My love and my relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit has grown. And that's exactly what the Bible said would happen. The more that you walk in the Spirit, the more He is going to draw you to the Father and the Son. And the more you are going to love the Father and and the Son. And the more you love them, the more you're going to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the transformation of your life. The Spirit works to grow us in our relationship with the Son and with the Father. So understand, the fruit of the Spirit is the life transformation that God brings about in the Gospel. So that's what I want us to focus on today. Today. Now, we've been saying all along that the Holy Spirit provides for God's people three things. Again, these are three categories that we have found helpful. The fruit of the Spirit, the benefits of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit last week we highlighted the benefits of the spirit and we unpacked john 14 through 16 highlighting those four distinct uh, places where in the upper room uh, discourse jesus talked about the helper the the paracletos remember not cletus cletus remember that one now this week we want to focus on the fruit of the spirit And what we're going to do is dig down and focus on how God's presence is transformational. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's take it out and let's now go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 22 through 25, a well-known and and needed passage for today. And uh, Peyton's going to come and read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. This sweet girl, she's done so great today. At the early service, she had this massive Bible that took five people to carry up, and then... They got her this little one here, and she has been so good. So, are you ready, Peyton? All right, she's going to read verse 22 through 25. Go for it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. She's so sweet. Go ahead and be seated. She's been so much fun today. When we were starting the series, a friend of mine said to me, you know, if you ever go to an orchard, if you go to like Jackson's Orchard and you see those apple trees and those peach trees, one of the things you will see is, is luscious fruit, but you will never hear those trees grunting. It's really not a a lot of effort for those trees to produce those fruit. See, all they have to do is basically be who and what they are. What they are are fruit trees. They're apple trees and peach trees. And just being what they are enables them to produce the fruit. And so it is with us. Those of us who are God's children, all we have to be is who we are. All we have to be are God's adopted children. All we have to be are Jesus's redeemed disciples. All we have to be are these filled, sealed saints of the Holy Spirit. And we will produce what God made us to be. All we have to do is be who God has made us to be. God's original design was harmony harmony with him harmony with ourselves harmony with the rest of the world but when we look at the bible and we understand the help of three circles that sin has created brokenness and the only way that we can now pursue and recover God's design is by the power of the gospel it is only the gospel revealed in the work of the father son and holy spirit that saves us that enables us to be what God designed us to be now we must repent and believe We must choose to give our lives to Christ. We must trust in in the Father's work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we do, there will be transformation. And that's what our text reveals to us today. I want to encourage you to take note and understand the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the gospel makes us different from the world. It makes us different. We don't make ourselves. It makes us different. Because it changes who we are. So when you look at verse 22, the very first word is the word but. And when you see the word but, the word tells us that there is a difference that is being communicated. And the difference here is the dramatic difference between those who are of God and those who are of the world. The difference can be seen in the way they look. Yesterday we were at a picnic and I met a young man and I immediately knew he was a baseball player. And the reason why I knew he was a baseball player, because of what was on his head. He was wearing a cap, and that cap had a very flat bill. And and what what you've come to realize in our culture today is that baseball players are tending to keep the bill flat, which is fine nerds. No, I'm just kidding. It's just fine. It's fine. It's, you know, back in my day, I don't know if you guys used to do this, but we used to get our hats and we'd roll them, right? And then would stick them and then you'd got, get them wet and you'd like, you know, you had to have them folded up, you know, but no more, no more. Now the cool thing is is the flat bill. So he had the flat bill and I really immediately recognized, here's a baseball player. So of course I began to talk with him uh, about about baseball and of course he knew a lot about baseball because he was wearing that silly hat. You know, years ago, you couldn't tell the difference between the hat. You'd have to look at the icon, the logo, the lettering. Uh, now you, you can kind of see it how they look. You know, years ago, believe it or not, um, tell the difference between a person who was living for God and a person that was living for the flesh, it was not always easy to determine. And here's why. Because believe it or not, young people, there was actually, there used to be a moral ethic that used to be shared by our society. This country used to have... a a view of humanity that that recognized human dignity. I know that's um, hard to imagine today, but believe it or not, that used to be the case. And the things that you now see on your televisions and the things that you hear in music would be unheard of just a few years ago. But times have changed. And our society is today much more like the New Testament. See, in the days of the New Testament, it was very easy to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, a person who is spirit-filled and a pagan. And so it is now in our day. It's becoming that case now because the people of the world are now unashamedly living according to the flesh. Living according to the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Is that not a churchy word or, or phrase or what? Well, it's a biblical concept that I want you to be reminded of. Let's go back two verses to verse 19. To understand what, what it is to live according to the flesh, here's a very good list. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to understand, church, that our children are being taught regularly that what is listed here in verses 19 through 21 is normative. The things that are on television, the things that are being produced in um, entertainment are saying, this is normal. This is what people should be about. This is what's being taught in schools. It is terrifying, it should terrify us all to know what is being pressed and pushed amongst kindergartners in California today. And let's not fool ourselves into thinking that they're gonna stay there. Please understand that there is going to become federal pressure to to teach what, what is unbelievably harmful and sick to kindergartners. Again, this is what's happening in our society. This is what's happening in the entertainment industry. This is what is happening in the school system. And this is now what is happening, believe it or not, even in the government. More and more young people are choosing between their faith and the pursuit of something as simple and glorious as medicine. Because according now to this moral revolution, if you're unwilling to kill a baby in her, in the child's mother's womb, then then you are wrong. And you cannot practice medicine. There is more and more pressure by our government and laws. They are attacking what the Bible would say is normal. And they're saying what we see here in verses 19 through 21, this is normal. Friends, there's been a moral revolution, and the secularists have won. And now, if you dare to stand up for what you believe according to the Word of God, I don't know about you, but I've seen videos of of people being physically attacked and hit. I don't know if you've heard about what's happening economically in Georgia, where because they have decided to speak for, for the unborn, that The entertainment industry is saying, hey, well, we're going to abandon the $9 billion business of the entertainment creation industry. And we're going to pull it out of there because you are a threat to the moral revolution. It's happening in politics. It's happening socially. And parents, we're praying with you. You're not in this battle alone. I'm in it with you. We're all in this. And parents, it's important to understand you're going to have to protect and teach your children to understand the distinction between the flesh and what the Bible calls his believers to live for. And you're probably going to have to do that at an earlier age. There were things that we wouldn't discuss years ago with with children under the age of 7th and 8th grade. We're now having to discuss these things with, with those as early as fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And a big reason why that is not just what's happening in society in terms of the entertainment industry and what's happening uh, with, with, with the school systems and that sort of thing. Believe it or not, friends, you look at that list on verses 19 through 21. There are parents in our community that are teaching their children that these are good and normal things. As a matter of fact, some of them are saying, you know what, I'm going to invite you to do those things in my home. So parents, be very careful of who you allow your children to come under the leadership of. Be very mindful that there is a moral revolution that has taken place and you're going to have to spend more time communicating with your child what these things mean, why they mean that and why they are not biblical and why they are not correct. You're gonna have to take the time to do that and know that we're going to help you. We as a community of faiths are gonna stand together on this but we have to understand that there is a moral revolution that has come and we're gonna have to deal with it. As much as it pains us to have to deal with the consequences and the ramifications of these decisions of this brokenness, the spiritual ramifications are intense. Go back to verse 21. There's no gray area here. I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who will inherit the kingdom of God are only those who have repented and turned away from the way of the world and decided to follow Jesus. You're either going to receive the benefit of the grace of God, or you're gonna receive the consequences of the holy judgment of God. And we must not only speak to our children about the cultural situations, the cultural things that are coming at them, we need to be very clear about the eternal ramifications. Friends, parents, please, put the three circles up. When when we're talking about the three circles, Make sure you're you're explaining to your children what sin is and explaining how the brokenness comes about. You take a list like that in verses 19 through 21. It's not about name calling. It's about understanding the distinction between God's design and what the world is creating by way of sin and brokenness and help them understand they must choose to repent and believe this gospel. And this gospel will enable them to recover and pursue God's design. And not only will we be different, but right at down the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the gospel, it makes us distinct. It makes us distinct in Christ. What does that distinction look like? Now, back to our verses, verse 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against those things, there is no law. See, Christians, we're different because of the supernatural presence and power of the Spirit of God in us. We live because Christ is alive. We have hope because Jesus has defeated sin on the cross. He has been raised. He's going to soon be returning. And that is our hope. And this supernatural reality, that drives our identity. That is the root of who we are. His presence transforms our nature. Understand, this is not original with me, but I believe this. When... Two statements. When Jesus is the root of your life, you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. The root will determine the fruit. Again, whatever is at the root of your life will determine the fruit of your life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A he- go back, go back. You went too fast. I haven't memorized it entirely. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. All right, now go. Here go. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Here's the question every person in this room needs to answer and be honest. What is the fruit of your life? The fruit of your life reveals the root of your life. What drives your behaviors comes from what you know as true and believe and love. What you believe and love drives the outcomes of your life. Whatever is at the root of your life, whatever is inside of you, that is going to be made manifest that is what's going to come out now don't do what i like to do don't do what other people like to do which is to make excuses for ourselves well i was just hungry i was talking like that i was acting like that because you know i want to pretend like i'm the guy on the snickers com you know those snickers commercials i was being a big jerk because i was hungry i just needed a snickers no you're being a big jerk because you are a big jerk You know, we want to make excuses. I was tired. I was hungry. Well, you know, I was having a bad day. You know, someone hurt me. Someone said something. Someone did something. Friends, all we're doing in those moments, when we blame hunger, when we blame circumstance, here's what we're really saying. We're saying, hey, my behave like a Christian filter was removed because I was hungry or because I was a little frustrated or tired. And what was really inside of me came out. I couldn't hold it in. Here's a question to ask yourself. See, right now, when I say, what's the fruit? I mean, you know, here we are on Sunday morning. And by the way, you guys look great. And so the fruit looks great this morning. It's easy to look fruitful, right, when you're sitting in church. What happens to you when you get bumped? What happens when you're on Scottsville Road? Right? Right? What what happens when you get nudged by your spouse, by a friend, by a neighbor? What happens when 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 everyone's not being nice and you get hit? What comes out then? See, that's what's really inside, and that's what we need to deal with. See, what's ever in the, whatever's at the at, at the at the root, see, that's that's what's going to produce the fruit. So, how how is fruit produced in us? There's 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 two things that we got to do, okay. Two things. These are not rocket science, by the way. They're very important to be conscious of and be intentional about. The first is this, and Jesus said this. You gotta abide in Jesus. If, if you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, you've gotta abide in Jesus. Look at what Jesus said in John 15, five. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing there's no, excuse me there's not enough willpower to produce what only the spirit of god can produce so the question that i hope that you would begin to ask is how do i abide in jesus well understand if you've never repented of your sin if you've never believed on him for salvation your root has not been changed you still have a sin nature and you're separated from god and you are under his righteous, holy judgment. The first thing you need to do if you want to abide in Jesus is you you have to repent and say, you know what, I'm done being boss. I'm done doing what the world says. I'm done living for the things that my flesh desires. Instead, I'm repenting of that, and I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm trusting you not only to forgive my life, but that you are better you are better than anything this world has to offer. You are better than anything I could ever make or do. You are better, and I'm going to trust you for that, and I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to surrender to you. That's where it begins. If you've never done that, well, then you, you can't abide in Jesus. Now, if you have done that, second thing you got to do is this. You got to spend time with Jesus. You got to spend time. You got to have him talk to you And you gotta talk to him. You say, I can talk to Jesus? Yes, he'll speak to me? Yes, he will speak to you through his word. God speaks through his word. And there are those who say, well, I want an audible voice. Then read the Bible out loud. (laughs) It's the word of God. If that's what you need, go for it. That's great. Having heard from Jesus in His Word, you need to talk to Him. Jesus, here's what I hear you saying in your Word. Here's what's not going right in my life. I need to align my life under what your Word says. I I need your help. I I love you. I am so grateful for you. I I see you in this Word. I see what your promises are. I'm going to hold to them. Having that conversation, you've got to repent and believe in Jesus. You've got to spend time with Jesus. And and third, you've got to spend time in the orchard. You gotta spend time with the family. You need to be around others who are, who are seeking to live in and produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you're isolated from the orchard, when you're isolated from the family, you get more, more influenced away from the way of the, of the Lord, and you get influenced with the way of the world. It's easy to be influenced by the way of the world. It takes intentionality to be influenced by the way of the Lord. And you need, we need one another. You need me. I need you. And then the last way, the fourth way is to serve. You know who gets the most out of my sermons? Me. You wouldn't believe the stuff that I'm not telling you about this morning. Stuff that is so rich and so good, so exciting to me. You know, this morning I was thinking about talking about the history of the, of the development of the Trinity and opening up, you know, from 325 and the, and the Council of Nicaea and going on to the, uh, the, 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 the council at Constantinople. But I thought it best that you stay awake. <laughs> but if you can't ever sleep, give me a call, all right? I've got some stuff for you, but you wouldn't believe. it When you serve, here's what you find you find that you are getting more out of this than anybody else. When you teach a class, when you're involved, and I'm not talking about going to a small group. I'm talking about when you prepare and you've been praying for those that you're about to encounter and you walk in ready to minister to other people and be ministered to in a connect group, in a small group, th- there is something that happens. When you share your faith with lost people, when you sit down and you say, tell me your God story. Tell me what you have faith in. Tell me what enables you to get up and, 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 and go to work every day. What you're really living for. To hear their questions, to hear their statement of faith, and then to be willing to compare it to your own and to have to define it biblically and speak to it authoritatively. That grows you. That grows you in your relationship with Jesus, and that produces this fruit. So the first thing is we must abide in Jesus. We must repent and believe, spend time with him, uh, spend time with his family, and serve him. The second thing is this. Again, this is not rocket science, but you got to know how to do it. We must crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. And that leads us to our third point. So the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the gospel makes us deadly to the flesh. It makes us deadly to the flesh. And if we are going to abide in Jesus, we must crucify the flesh. It says in verse 24, look at this very closely. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That phrase there, have crucified, it would probably be better translated as "have crucified and continue to crucify." This word estaurosin. Um, it's an aorist. That means it's a verb. It's an aorist verb, which means it happened in the past in a particular moment. It began to happen, it had a starting point, but then it's an indicative, and what that means is it's continuing to happen. So if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have crucified the flesh. You've said, I I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I repent of my sin. I am dying to my way of life. I'm going to live to Jesus Christ. The rest of your life will be spent crucifying the flesh. So long as you are living in the flesh, in this broken world being pursued by demonic forces, you will daily have to crucify the flesh. Some of you heard me share this story when I was doing my doctoral work. A man who helped uh, create Campus Crusade for Christ with Dr. Bright was in, in one of my courses. He was auditing it. And I remember at the beginning of the course, I'll never forget this. This man in his 80s was asked by our professor to pray. And he prayed as a part of his prayer. Oh, God, please don't let me be a dirty old man. I've never forgotten that. And I'll never forget after that prayer, that very short, powerful prayer, he turned around and looked at us and says, Boys, don't ever think for a moment you're above any sin. You will have to fight the flesh. You will have to crucify the flesh all the days of your life. And we who are in Christ, we, are, we have and we must continue to crucify the flesh. The question is, I hope you are wondering, how do I crucify the flesh? How does this work? What do I do? Well, there's three things I do. And there's many great books that have been written on it. These are the three things that I, I daily do. And this is a normal part of my, of my thought process as I go out throughout the day. The first one is this. When it comes to the flesh, you don't feed it. You don't feed it. So if you know you're going to be tempted on a computer page, don't go to the computer page or don't be on the computer by yourself. If you're going to be tempted by a type of movie or television show, don't watch it. I know this is going to blow some of your minds. I know this is revolutionary to some of you, but listen to me very carefully. You choose what's on your television. You can choose it. You can choose to turn it off. You choose. You get to choose. You don't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And there's those moments now, and I'm gonna I acknowledge this. And I know some of you think, well, I'm tempted at work, I'm tempted at school. Can I get out of school? Pastor, can you write me and never go back to school again? No. So what do you do when you have to be in environments where you're gonna be tempted? All right, listen very carefully. Accuse the temptation rightly. Accuse the temptation. What do I mean? When temptation comes, be rude to it. Don't be nice. Call it factual names. See, what we're gonna be tempted to do is say something like, oh, that would be a terrible mistake. That would be a bad personal preference. That That would be a bad habit. Forget that. You wanna deal with sin? call it what it is, it's sin, it's destructive, it's disease, it's sickness, it's going to cause brokenness. When temptation comes, Call it what it is. Be rude to it. You are sickness. You are disease. You are destruction. You're trying to kill me. You're trying to kill my marriage. You're trying to kill my friendships. You're trying to destroy me. You are wrong. You are evil. Don't be nice to it. Somebody comes to your house and you say, you are sickness. You are disease. You are terrible. You are wrong. You are bad. They typically don't stay. I mean, if they do, call the police, because that's weird. So when temptation comes, now look, don't be mean to people. I mean, be a Southerner, you know, be nice. But in your heart, just say, this is sickness. This is destruction. This is terrible. This is wrong. This is going to kill me. This is going to rob me. You know, when someone says, hey, man, let's go do this. Be nice. Ah, man, no thanks. No thanks. In your mind. It's sickness. It's destruction. It's gonna kill the good. It's gonna rob me. No chance. Call it what it is. So first, if at all possible, avoid the temptation. If you have to be in it, be nice, but call it what it is. Be nice to people. Be, be res- just be ruthless with sin. Call it what it is. Third thing get help from other people, get help with other people. I know to look at me, you would think, you know, you know, wow, but you know, it takes three or four people to to help me look like this. (laughs) And what I mean by that is this, every morning at 5 a.m. I'm up. I get up and I go work out. And you know what happens at 5 a.m. almost every day? One of two things, one, I wanna go back to sleep or I want to go and eat a box of Fruit Loops with a side order of Pop-Tarts. <laughs> but I don't, because apparently that's wrong. So what we I typically, as I go somewhere where friends are waiting for me, who would like to be asleep or digging into some Fruit Loops and Pop-Tarts too, and we work out. Not because we like it, but because it's right, it's good. But knowing that they're going to be waiting for me gets me there. And then knowing that I'm going to be waiting for them gets them there. And then together we encourage one another. Friends, if you can show up to this church and no one miss you, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. And I, you know, I hear people, oh, living hope's just so big. I can't get connected. Quit lying to yourself. Is it going to take effort? Yeah. Are you going to have to give up emotional energy and time? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what family takes, <laughs> time and emotional energy. But if you'll get connected and serve and, and build friendships, if you miss church on Sunday, people will call you. If I miss a workout, I get text messages. If you miss church, you should get text messages. If you miss group, you should get text messages. If you miss your service, you should, you'll get text messages. You'll have people who are missing you. Friends, if you can go to church and not be missed, you're not doing it right. You wanna destroy sin? You wanna destroy temptation? Keep away from it. If you have to be around it, call it what it is, but always in the context of brothers and sisters in Christ. And what will happen is, and write it down, which makes for a dynamic faith, a dynamic faith. See, look at verse 25. I mean, it's dynamic even in the, in the sense of the way it's explained. If we live by the Spirit, let's, all keep in, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. There's a sense in which, Walking in the Spirit is an adventure. It's going somewhere. Friends, listen to me. If your faith is boring, it's, the problem is not on God's end. It's yours. See, th- there's, a, there's a difference between someone who's keeping in, the, in step with the Spirit and someone who's not. It's the difference between two kinds of video games. I'm gonna, some of you are going to show your age here. How many of you have ever played Pong? Okay. This is not like the Christian life. All right, young people, believe it or not, we used to play this game. And all we could do is move this little thing and this ball would bounce and that's what we play. If you ever what's wrong with us, we played this for hours. <laughs> this is not how the Christian faith should be. It should be like Mario Kart, right? There's somewhere to go, there's, there's benefits. There's people who wanna kill you, right? I mean, there's an adventure to this. And your Christian life is, God's taking you somewhere. You gotta keep in step with the Spirit. Are there, are there things trying to kill you? Yes, the flesh, the world, and the devil, all trying to kill you. So you gotta fight, you gotta be fierce. I, I was talking to a lady after the first service and she said, this series has been so good for me. And I said, well, tell me about it. She said, look, my circumstances haven't changed at all. My marriage is still hard. It's challenging to be a parent, I'm having difficulty at work, and my health is still a challenge, and my circumstances haven't changed at all, but my heart has. Because God is doing a work in my life and conforming me more and more like Jesus. The more I know and walk and live in the Spirit, the more I'm becoming like Jesus, and the more I love God my Father. I I wrote this in my devotion, I read it in my devotion this week. I don't like it, but it's true. What we need to go through is often what we do not want to go through. The Lord uses our trials to transform us into the image of His Son. That's the adventure. It's never boring. Every day, good news, you got something to fight today. You got something to fight for opportunities are all around you if you will see them through the lens of the love of Jesus Christ. Now, if you just want to live in the flesh, you just want to accept the social norms and then act like you're a Christian, play pong, it's boring. But if you want to keep in step with the Spirit, you want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you want to see God produce that in you, then be who you are and watch what God can do. Now, some of you can't because you're not Christians. And the best thing you could do this morning is take the space and time we're about to give, get on your knees this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I know you died for my sin, I know you've been raised, come and live in me, I wanna live for you. I repent of the flesh, I accept your love and leadership in my life. Some of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ and if you're honest, you're not fighting the flesh, you're not crucifying the flesh, you're satisfying the flesh and it's creating problems in your most important relationships you need to repent of that. Some of you, you're, you're walking well with the Lord, but who are you leading to, to know Jesus? How are you serving the kingdom of God? Maybe you need help with that. Come and pray for that. And if you're a leader, grab your bulletin and come and pray that we'd be revived. The prayer is there in your bulletin. Let's take some time to pray for that too. Let's all stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring it and illuminating it. Thank you for this time. To be able to think through, Holy Spirit, how you're at work in our life and how this all relates to the Father and the Son and the life that you are calling us to live that is in step with you. God, I pray for some who need to come and get on their knees today and be saved. Pray for some who need help in their walk with you, some who need to battle more fiercely against the flesh. Lord for those who who need to acknowledge that they're really not a part of the church, they're not really doing this the way your word. Commands And if they weren't here, they might not be missed. So Lord, would you today give them the faith to commit themselves to you, membership class next week, and and to be a part. And then, Lord, as our, our leadership, as we come and get on our knees and ask for you to revive us, we trust that you will, in Jesus' name. Come and pray as we sing together.